everybody, what's going on, and welcome to the two-year anniversary of the last podcast you'd want. Steve here. We're going to hop right into it. Uh, I watched A League of Their Own. I watched Ava, What Women Want, Tron Legacy. Uh, it's been so much fun of everything I want. What have you been watching? Hit us up on Twitter, at TLPYW. Hit us up on uh, Instagram at the last podcast you'd want. Happy two-year anniversary. I can't believe that it's been two years since I went out to my car and decided to do this. We're going to hop right in. Bernie Bregman, he's a good friend of mine. He brings us into uh, episode 106. And then if you want, you can hop right over to episode 107. And uh, happy anniversary. I'm so excited. Let's dive right in. Coming in at number five in the box office this week, we have The War with Grandpa with $265,000. Freaky falls to number four, coming in with $315,000. Elf is your number three movie with $400,000. With $495,000, we have Half Brothers coming in at number two. And The Croods comes in once again with $3.1 million in the number one position. Coming out to the theater this week, we have Monster Hunter, Greenland, Fatal, The Dissident, Breach, and The Intergalactic Adventures of Max Cloud. Those are the numbers for the box office and the movies coming out to the theater this week. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the two-year anniversary of the last podcast you'd want. Steve here, and folks, have I got a fun one for you today. I bring to the show a guest, a friend, a gentleman that I have known easily over 15 years. He is the class clown of cosplay. He is the geek Gatsby himself. He is one of the best MCs that have ever graced the stage, my friend. Bernie Bergman. Bernie, what's going on? That's too much billing. I can't live up to that. Like, I'm all about low expectations. <laughs> I just, um, you're so, you've been so, I mean, you've been so fun and entertaining in the years that we've known each other. Uh, the presence that, that, that you bring to a stage, uh, you control a crowd like, all like no other. Of Rocky Horror would have, you know, given birth to the craziness that I do now. All the burnaholics, right? <laughs> oh my God, burnaholics! I, for the, for those listening, if if you're familiar with wrestling, uh, when Chris Jericho had his um, Jerichoholic spiel around uh, the late '90s, um, I, I mimicked. I took a lot of my stage persona was like an amalgamation of uh, uh, Jericho, The Rock, and and maybe a sprinkle of Ric Flair. Um, you know, or, or maybe maybe a little HBK too. I was but gonna say a little, a little like, HBK because you hit you hit that you hit that pose for Rocky. Yeah, yeah, I would I would do the I would do the power pose. Um, those were kind of like my my mic influences for a live crowd. 
um, without actually playing a character. Like I didn't craft a character, but but some of their mannerisms, the pause for effect, the the um, you know the way to play the crowd, and um, you know to either intentionally be an ass like Jericho or to um, to play up for a, for a good uh, face pop the way the, the Rock does, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I, I had a shirt made one time for like, I think my ex-girlfriend and, and a couple other women. And it said, I'm a burnicaholic. It's one of the most arrogant and douchey things I've ever done in my life, but there's pictures. So I have to own it. Oh, and me and Art, <laughs> dude, I tell you the first time we came up to the show, me and former guests of the show, Arturo Garcia, uh, we popped. My man, Art. We popped dude. hard for it. He, I love art. He's great. I love seeing him at Comic-Con, but he's always so busy like writing and doing stuff that I don't get to like, hey, what's up, man? I'm in your hood, you know, for like a week. But I'm like, you know, he's running around doing coverage for like Rolling Stone and stuff. And I'm like building experientials and, and different worlds for people to visit for a couple of days. It's, it's, it's a wild time. And I reach out to like Rocky friends and, uh, you know, I'll see Marie for like 10 minutes, like, cause you know, one of my best friends in the world and I'm never in, in her town. Um, but like, it's hard to see. Comic-Con is like, it's the one place in the world you can have literally 300 friends that you actually know face to face and barely run into like six of them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My hopes is that Comic-Con will be running in capacity next year. Um, wishful and, thinking, my friend. I know. I'm, and, look, and every I'm fine, year I'm fine with the online. This. I'm fine with the online. I'm but, losing enough to buy your house in Missouri uh, <laughs> since this pandemic started. Um, <laughs> uh, I expect that Comic Con will happen, but I think it'll happen in like a 50, 60% capacity. It's not going to be this this under 50% necessity anymore by then. I don't think, I hope, cross my fingers. Um, but I don't think it's going to be 100%. I think if, if anyone can remember Comic-Con before the Twihard explosion of 2006 or seven, whenever that was, like when you used to be able to walk up and get a ticket the day of, but it would still be really crowded. Sure. Like, I feel like that's what it's going to be. Sure. Um, I, I was it'll actually to... still be sold out because their ticketing system is garbage. But <laughs> I love you, Comic-Con, but your ticket is garbage. Um, I was going to Comic Con. Yeah, it won't. It won't be that. And I don't know all the all the the you know IP based experiences that my group does. You know, we take over uh, a nightclub or a concert venue downtown, depending on. We love Flux Nightclub. They're great to work with. Um, I've got. Uh, I, I have an in pocket, really big national talent thing that that if Comic Con goes off even like half cocked, then I'll have this person. Um, uh, who recently popped on Twitter for his commentary of a certain fight. Anyway, um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, a guy I dreamed to work with, um, sure. along with one of the big toy companies. So here, I'm hoping for Comic-Con. Uh, well, what I'm, what I'm hoping for is the capacity by then I'll be doing the show long enough. I miss it by about, if Comic-Con had happened this year, I would have missed the cutoff by about three months on how long you need to be doing a podcast to get a media pass. To, huh. what is it? is it a two-year it's a year and a half okay so by the time it comes around to a a, a in-person capacity i'll have been doing this long enough so my hope is to get in because as i saw you at la comic-con last year um that one i was lucky enough to get just a vendor when you were doing the strange thing or stranger things room 
So for all the fun stuff I've done, I'm, I'm like as professional a nerd, I think, as, as one can be without being like in the mainstream media. Like, you know, I'm not in movies and stuff, but I'm like as professional a nerd as professional nerds get. And I can't get a pro badge to Comic-Con. <laughs> oh, we can here's, only... hoping, here's hoping my show with, uh, with Dan Fogler stays on a while and then I can, I can go that route. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Um, with that, though, I mean, we're going we're gonna to be talking about a lot. I'm sure that'll remind us of the past. Um, but a question I always love to start with, uh, have you ever walked out of a movie in the movie theater? Yes. Um, I almost never do on principle. Like I just, I, you know, I grew up in a Hollywood family. Um, and like, I just respect the process so much that I would, I would basically never do it. But you know, when you're a teenager is like at your all time low for moral compass. Um, and so, uh, I did walk out of my here, even I'll even go further back. Um, my family all walked out of a movie and I was like, no, I'm going to stay. But, the, but then I walked out. Um, so I walked out of heart condition with Denzel Washington and Bob Hoskins. Haskins. Okay. Which, You've which, never heard of it, right? No, no one's ever heard of this. No, movie. I've never Look it up heard. on IMDb. I swear it exists. It wasn't just in, it was, um, uh, uh, if I recall correctly, cause I've never gone back to even watch this thing. Uh, Denzel, uh, Denzel dies. He's not, he wasn't even a big star at that point, but now when you look back you're like Bob Hoskins and Denzel Washington, who would walk out on a movie with those guys? Um, anyone that saw that movie would, um, Denzel dies. I think he might've been uh, a felon of some kind or something, but he dies. And Hoskins is, I think a detective, or something like that, but he needs a heart transplant. He gets into like a, either a gunfight or a car accident or something. He needs a heart transplant. So he gets Denzel's heart. And then Den, the ghost of Denzel is haunting this cop, right? And, and, I, and I, it's, it's some kind of like, they're still, the, they're both the good guys, whatever's going on with them. But I think like, uh, I think Haskins might be like at least mildly racist. And then, you know, Denzel's like teaching him not to be along the course of catching bad guys or something like that. That's, that's kind of what it is. And is that the one your family walked out of? And you My family out? walked out and I was like, I'm going to stay and watch this terrible, terrible movie. I just, you know, I have to see how it ends. And then the one, so funny, I went to, I've now watched it all the way through and I actually appreciate this movie and it's kind of a cult classic. Um, but I was, all the expectations in the world, like great, incredible cast and direction and a genre I like, Mystery Men. Oh, okay. I, I fucking, debuted, I love that. I, I, I'm, I'm like 25 minutes in, 30 minutes in, I saw a matinee at what used to be the Avco <laughs> Cinema on uh, Wilshire. Sorry about the dogs. No, um, okay. <clears throat> uh, in, in Westwood Village, uh, which was like, for anyone that didn't know, that doesn't know like Los Angeles, Westwood was like, I, I can't even describe this to you. It was the home of so many movie theaters. Man theaters owned basically Westwood Village uh, right near UCLA. And there are so many just legendary theaters. All the premieres that you see, if they're not at the Chinese theater in Hollywood, they were at the Man Village with the Fox Tower uh, right on Broxton and Weyburn. Um, and and uh, actually, they're both, that and the one across the street, the Bruin, were prominently featured in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the theater that Sharon Tate went to. Um, so, uh, uh, so I got to grow up and walk to all those theaters as a kid. Um, and there's this one, the Avco that's connected to, um, the cemetery where Marilyn Monroe is buried. Um, and, uh, and, and that's where I saw a matinee screening of 
mystery man i also saw jurassic park there and uh, a couple other great movies i had that place on like i ran that place as a teenager um i knew all the ins and outs i knew the door the exit door that wouldn't latch properly so i could sneak back in <laughs> i saw jurassic park 13 times in the first week it came out and i paid once there you go i <laughs> i saw jurassic park nine times in the theaters and I did not pay at all because I was in sixth grade and my parents paid every time. Didn't you, didn't you like, like live, live in, at a movie theater, right? You were La, basically La the, Paloma. the La Paloma. Yeah. You were, you were, you were, you were the kid from last action hero. That's, I really, I really, that was I, you. I really was. <laughs> I, I, Alan was very nice enough to let me uh, sleep uh, on, on my futon mattress behind the screen. Uh, and that is actually where I took my wife on our first date. And uh, the fun bit is the, the credits are playing and I look at her and I go, hey, do you want to go back to my place? It's really close. And she goes, sure, no problem. And I have a key to the side door that Alan has for the VOM. And Amen. so we go walking through the VOM and I pull my key out and I go, well, this is the point where you either go screaming to your car or you go, this is really cool. And I open the door and I <laughs> kick it open. I go walking back. I go, this is my place. I, I actually live in the theater. Uh, and Look, she, if she's sticking with you when you're on a futon behind the movie screen, then you've found a winner. Absolutely. She was more upset about me moving out of the theater than I was. <laughs> but no, Does he I, still own the La Paloma. How's he doing in this pandemic? Uh, the La Paloma is still open. And as far as I know, Alan still runs it. Um, God bless you non-LA people with your non-code red COVID stuff. Well, I mean, with San Diego going back down on lockdown, he might get shut down again, but he was running... I mean, but you have to think. At least he's in North County. He's not in the city, right? So it's like a different thing. It's a different thing. But you have to think, I mean, no no slight against Allen, but it wasn't a sellout crowd for, you know, unless it was Rocky or a performer that was performing on stage. Like his movies weren't weren't selling out. You know, he was selling less than 25% capacity anyways. For anyone that, that has never been to the La Paloma Theater in, in beautiful Encinitas, California, right on the beach, it is like it's an old vaudeville style theater with a gigantic stage in front of the screen. It has the, this this huge cavernous ceiling with this amazing acoustics. It's it's one of the you know cinematic treasures left in this world. It's a great wow. place. Great and they, place. and at one point they did Rocky Horror Picture Show there every Friday. I can only assume since quarantine started they have not been doing. Oh, that. there has yeah no. And anyone anyone that does Rocky gets because you know that crowd like that's that's the I I say this with so much love for all of these people sometimes. Um, but that like Rocky takes social justice to like, you know, great. They're they're very they're a very passionate group. We'll just say that. They're a very um, passionate and, group. Any Rocky group that is found performing during COVID, no matter what the city's restrictions may be, and that's different from place to place, is getting vilified online by all the other Rocky people. Oh, absolutely. It's, man, it's, I can only imagine, I mean, because, uh, and nothing against, nothing against crazed imaginations, but the, the cast itself has changed so much oh yeah none of it it's not like it's it's nothing like what we used to do and that's it, it needed to evolve right like sure it was it was the right time and place for the people that found it and and then you know it either whether it's a chicken or the egg argument right did 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 the community evolve did the people coming evolve did you know what it stand for evolve what changed but either way it's it's a new beast with new people that that fit it right 
And, and it's, you know, it's one of those things you have to just look back at your era and be like, that was awesome for me. I loved that, but it isn't, it isn't that now. And, and it might be also cool for me now, or it might just be like, yeah, this is my thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The last, the last time I went, uh, it, 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 I just swung by and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't really my thing. I didn't, I didn't even really make it to time warp. Like, I think I got to there's a light and I'm like, all right, guys, I think I'm going to bounce. I can stick time warp, man. But Eddie is about the time where I'm, I'm done. I'm done. You know, Rocky's yeah. been born. We've got Frank who needs Dr. Scott. I'm good. Yeah. I don't um, know if you'll necessarily agree with me, but I've always said Eddie is the best part to play because you're a rock star. You go out there. Yes, you're a rock star for five and a half minutes, and it's amazing, and then you're done. And you then you die. You minimal makeup, and you're wearing comfortable clothing. You're in jeans and a T-shirt with a leather vest. It's all good. And yeah, dude, that one's, that one's awesome. It's great. I got to carry it. So I got, I've gotten in, in, you know, it's so funny for all that performing. I was afraid to ever sing in public. And I grew up in recording studios. My dad engineered for like Toto and the Sex Pistols and uh, Chicago. And, and I would never, I was so afraid to ever like for all that gusto on stage that, you know, like I'm the man, right. I would never, ever go to karaoke or do anything. And I finally got into it over the last three years um at, in in hollywood we are blessed to have the scum and villainy cantina which is a recreation of the Mosaisley cantina from star wars and it's gorgeous and they started doing live band karaoke and like all of my friends were regulars there um and i'm friends with the owner uh jc and jen and um and so they they did the live band karaoke and as it was winding down the one month they had it i'm like fuck it man my friends are all here i feel supported and and i just i gotta do this right and and I, I did two songs. Um, I did uh, "It's Tricky" by Run DMC, um, which is my favorite Run DMC song, and I can I, I can rap pretty decently. But I wasn't sure I could carry like a, a tune. And I did "Rebel Yell" because like when I'm in the shower, you know, and singing singing a song, "Rebel Yell" is one of those songs. Um, and it was not awesome, but it was not terrible. And I was like, okay, this is kind of all right. And so like, I would go back, but I would do, I would find like two or three things that I, I would, didn't suck at and I would just do those. And what ended up happening is I got really good at those. Like now I've, I've performed Rebel Yell with a live band in front of 1500 people and on a sold out audience um, several times now. Um, and, and that's like the coolest thing in the world. And, and then I started branching out and finding new stuff. And now it's like, it's not about sticking to what I'm good at. It's like, I want to find new stuff to be good at. And it's totally, it's, it's just, it's so rad to, to discover stuff like that. And, and, you know, if not for Rocky and, and this, the, the comfort level getting on stage in front of people and putting yourself out there could never have gotten to that. And that's like my favorite hobby now. Sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it, it, it all leads, it all leads to, to, you know, what we've done uh, you with the, with the shows, with the emceeing, uh, with all the parties you throw uh, to me with uh, being a full manager and wrestling uh, and, and, you know, taking, uh, the, the, the door of a, a steel cage to my stomach in front of 300 people. Um, it's, I have it's, taken a couple of chairs to the forehead. That's a, it's a good it's, time. It's all, it's all worth it. It's all worth it in the name of entertainment. Uh, but going back to the main point, mystery men. So you've, you've taken the time you've rewatched it and, and, yeah. and um, it's a good movie, right? It's, I don't know. I'll go there. It's not a bad movie. It's entertaining. Um, it's it is, it is visually beautiful um i think the costume design is fantastic um i think what i i never loved about it is it's that it's that style of comedy um 
that that Will Ferrell actually lives in that like really awkward and like long pauses and like you know or or uh, who's uh, the um oh God what's his name Zach, Zach Galifianakis kind of does that that type of comedy too and like the, but those guys punch it up onto a different level and this cast like I don't know I think back to some of those lines for Ben Stiller and I feel like this was not Ben Stiller's finest moments um, and he's great in so much stuff oh, sure. um, he's. Ben Stiller in Tropic Thunder is like peak Ben Stiller being funny um, and, and trying to do a similar character, but he got better at it. But Ben Stiller like, I will go Pompeii on your ass. Like, I don't know if it, it, here's the thing I can't figure out. I can't figure out if it's the right, it's probably the writing. I feel like it's, that's a perfect example where you have this incredible, the talent on that cast, man, Academy Award winners, Jeffrey Rush, William H. Macy, you've got, got Stiller as a star, Janine Garofalo, like, the, uh, Greg, is it Greg Kinnear he's in that? Greg Kinnear's in it. pretty one. Yeah, Greg Tom, Kinnear's in it. Tom Waits, um, Paul Rubens. Right. Kel it, Mitchell. Amazing cast. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Baby Bola. Eddie, he's phenomenal, right? And, like, Eddie's moments are kind of really good. Um, but I don't know. There's just beats that doesn't hit. And, and you know, it's, it's like, I think it's the writing. I think that was a, an example of a good concept with a great cast. Um, and I don't know if it's the writing or the direction. Someone smarter than me can figure that out. But somewhere that, that one somewhere. just didn't hit. So I walked out on it because um, I was so disappointed because it was too built up. And then someday I went back to it and was like, all right, let's let's watch this damn movie. And I'm like, that's all right. It's fun. You can you can you know you can appreciate the train wreck, but it's so funny because that came out in like what oh three oh four something like that. Even uh, earlier maybe. No, that um, was like ninety nine. I was still in high school. That was like ninety nine. Ninety nine. Like that. Yeah. Either I way, was... the, the the superhero genre has now exploded and and dominates everything in mainstream you know Hollywood. Um, and that wasn't a thing back then, right? We had sure. Tobey Maguire. We had, uh, you know, everyone still trying to recapture the magic of Tim Burton and, and swinging and missing, um, you know, and, and, uh, and we had the lovable at the time and hateable now X-Men movies. And that was kind of it. Sure. Um, you know, and now it's, and then, then, then you get kind of a parody of that, right? Imagine if a mystery men came out now, like, and someone went back and retouched it up, but it was a, it was a spoof of the superhero genre. I don't think anyone's really done that, at least not on, on a larger scale, like, you know, not like that. And sure. you put together a great cast of, like, would never be superhero people, right? So you get, like, Laffy Anakis and Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley and, um, I don't know, like... Uh, uh, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Oh, totally. Uh, all, all of the, all the young ones are all the, the Stranger Things kids, right? Sure. Like, because they're all just nerdy. So you get you get um, uh, Gaten Matarazzo and you get Finn Wolfhard and you know and and whatever and you do that right you do you do like a like an Avengers parody right now it'll blow it'll blow up it'll be amazing oh absolutely um, so this is this is um, dropping so fans will know when we recorded this if they time to take the time to do the homework dropping today Warner Brothers has announced everything that they are releasing to HBO your thoughts. I have many thoughts. Uh, I just talked to a friend of mine that writes for uh, Nerdbot Media because he was uh, he was he posted I'd posted a, the um, the news flash of that, and then he's like, oh, "I'm writing an article right now," and I'm like, "I've talked to a bunch of theater owners, so I have like a million thoughts." So I, I just talked with him about kind of what's going to happen with that. So um, 
I think it's a move they have to do. And I think it's going to be very successful for Warner Brothers. I think the, the interesting thing is going to be what happens to the theater industry afterwards, right? Like Disney already proved it with Mulan, like this works and you're, they're going to make money. It's, they're not going to make hand over fist like they did releasing Marvel movies in 2019 and, you know, make a billion dollars a movie, which is a whole other just amazing, like all the praise, all the praise to Disney. Um, but, uh, or at least to their Marvel side, Star Wars, another thing. Um, but, uh, look, Mandalorian's great. Um, Hell yeah. But uh, uh, so it's, it, they proved that they could, you know, recoup their investment and, and have that kind of buoy them through this, this time of struggle. And nobody gives a crap about billionaire, you know, film companies struggling, but they are just like everybody else. And they're, they're not able to bank on what they were doing. And it means that they have to cut back. And if you think that executives are cutting back, you're a crazy person, even if you're right, that they should. Um, and, and so, you know, they need to make money so that they continue to provide jobs for people and we continue to get content. But if they didn't do this, like when, when they have this backlog of stuff, right, you need to get through the content that they already had, like in the works so that you can get to the other content that they were planning on. Like if you ever want to get uh, the Flashpoint movie, if you ever want to get uh, the Fantastic Beast 3, you know, all these other tentpole films or whatever cool stuff that they were working on uh, that you want to see. They've got to release the stuff that's in the can now and finish what they were halfway through filming and just get the process going because we're backed up. But the, the negative impact on the theater industry is going to be thusly. The chains are going to die. AMC is the one that might survive, but the, the lower mid-range ones, the, the Harkins and, and uh, Cinemark and uh, Regal, those guys are, are probably going to die. And <coughs> the big evil monopoly is going to happen where the studios buy the theater chains at a do- dimes on the dollar for freaking peanuts because here's the thing with the pandemic in general and i'm looking at this because i produce events i'm looking at at, you know concert venues and nightclubs and you know places that i i'm used to pitching my you know pitching up a, a shop and doing a thing like the business models will be successful when the virus is contained and we're heading in that direction but these owners can't sustain it and the same goes for the theaters like the, 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 the model is successful. And when the people can come out and they feel confident enough to come out that they're not going to die, then it will be successful again. But the person that has leases right now is screwed. And, and, and the problem, you know, not to get into the politics of it, but the, the government hasn't like given relief on every level, which it should have been whoever the, the landowner, the building owner, like whatever they're paying in mortgage and taxes, that just gets moved to later. So they don't have to charge rent to the, the tenant. And then the tenant who's the business owner doesn't get screwed over because most of these places don't own the buildings that they operate in. Um, and, and so they needed to, on all the levels, give relief and just be like, you know what, since we're not allowing people to go out and people don't want to go out, like we're just going to tack this all on to however long it takes. So if this is, you know, 14 months, then, then you get 14 months and, in, in, you know, into the end there. Um, but they're not doing that, which means these people are going to have to sell and, and, you know, go cry about uh, the fortunes lost and their futures and all that stuff. And someone else is going to come by and swoop that stuff up. And the studios are in a unique position, not only to do that, but to do that and make a killing because then they, they're not just, you know, giving a percentage of, of their movie away. Hold on, I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> Pardon. Um, you know, so they're going to make all of the money on their films. 
And, and there's going to be a negotiation at some point that is the, the, the government going, well, you can't do that because that creates a monopoly and that's not fair. And we have rules in place for that. There's laws. And then they're going to go, well, all these chains are dying and all these jobs, thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs across the country are gone. And then that pressure is going to be put on the taxpayer and the government to sustain these people. So how about you give us a little, we create all of these jobs and bada bing, bang, boom, it helps everybody. So there will be some kind of a negotiation and then there will be concessions like, you know, Disney buys Regal and Warner Brothers buys Harkins and, and Sony picks up uh, Cinemark or whatever. And, and the deal is like, okay, out of your total number of screens, you have to give X percent to the other guy. You can't just do your thing. And, and you have to let the other guy play your movies too, right? But like not totally. And then they'll be allowed to do something cooler at their proprietary theater. So you can go see Disney at the one that's around the corner from your house. But if you go three miles down to Disney's theater, you get the, the giveaways and the, you know, a, a 30 second thank you from the cast that's run before the, the movie that the other guy doesn't get. That's what it's going to be. And then it's going to be a war for like experiences and, and stuff like that. I'll tell you who is going to come out on top though. The art house theaters, the single screens, you know, people like that are going to come out on top because those people have the ability to sustain, you know, what they've been through and they can get loans and grants and things like that, small business grants. Um, the, and, and they will end up getting relief. The problem with the bigger companies is they have such a, a, a burden on them from, you know, uh, uh, rents and property taxes for these huge, you know, monoliths of cinema, um, not to mention the, the, the people drain and all that stuff. Single screens, they'll survive. And then if they get clever and creative with their experience, they'll be around to rise again. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited with, uh, with some of the titles that were announced. Uh, <clears throat> Kong or which, one, which one are you looking at? The, which, which one's your favorite? Uh, um, looking forward to, I guess. I mean, really looking at the ones that are there, the suicide squad and probably Kong versus Godzilla. So I suicide squad is going to be so interesting. The first one, let's just agree that that was a freaking train wreck outside of Harley Quinn. Like, God, um, it was a beautiful train wreck. Like, it was so visually beautiful and such a bad story with bad direction and bad choices. Um, All right, but, so the, the list that I'm looking at, I'm sorry, Mortal Kombat's the other one I'm looking at. Please go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I, I, anything James Gunn does is going to get my attention. Matrix 4 is, is high on my list of, of very, very interested in out of that. Um, my wife and I recently went through the Conjuring series, which we found very uh, entertaining. Uh, so Conjuring Devil Made Me Do It uh, is very appealing to me. And the only other one, of course, is In the Heights. Uh, I would have said the other one, of course, is Space Jam. <laughs> A new legacy. Yep. I, I, you know what? I, I, I've LeBron, seen, baby, I'm in L.A. I've seen Space Jam once in my life and it was in its original theatrical release i've probably seen bits and pieces of it since it came out i probably uh, haven't seen it all the way through since like that era i didn't see it theatrically but i worked at a hollywood video in in the late 90s and so i got three free rentals a night and three free rentals i shall take each and every night <laughs> even even if it's space jam no i specifically remember that i saw it in the theater because it's the only time that i have ever done this and i still to the life of me don't know why i did but a father and son sat behind me like 
three minutes after the movie had started. And I literally remember turning around and looking at the kid and going, they just did a montage of him as a child loving basketball. You haven't missed anything. Did you know what a montage was? I, I, I remember saying it was an opening scene. I don't know if I necessarily said montage, but I said like it was an opening Every scene. Every movie needs a montage. Of, of him loving basketball. It's the only time <laughs> that I've, I've ever looked at someone that I did not know in a theater and told them what they missed. What's the coolest wow. movie watching experience you've ever had? Oh man. Um, I mean, other than Rocky. Um, yeah, let's, that's a whole, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Um, I got to see a sneak preview of civil war at the AMC Ooh. at Disneyland. Oh, so at well, that one like, of those times, like we see the, the, the viral videos later where like the stars were there. Uh, there were no stars there. But I did end up winning a uh, Captain America, back, uh, a Civil War backpack because they were asking trivia questions and they asked who originally played uh, Captain Rhodes. So I just like Very my, hand, cool. my hand went up in the air and they're, they're bam, and I'm all Terrence Howard. And they're all, yeah. And it's great yeah. because later that night, I ended up winning a backpack, same, the same backpack for my cousin when they were doing uh, the, the little mini stage that they have in downtown Disney, they were playing music and they were playing old, old TV themes. And it was whoever shouted it out first and they played Magnum PI. And, and I, I, for the life of me, Bernie, the only reason I knew it was Magnum PI at the time is because that is the theme that Joey Ryan was coming out to on the independence. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so quick note that, that, that I thought of when you said that is, as much as I love Terrence Howard and I liked him a lot as uh, Colonel James Rhodes, they did a great job of revamping that character because you can't see him performing the role that Don Cheadle did at all. Like they wrote it for to be right for the way Cheadle would do it. Um, and I think it was, it was great. And I can't imagine how they would have expanded uh, Howard's Rhodes to, to play with the Avengers. I feel like, like, he would have been very standoffish. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, I, I, I like how it turned out, even though I love him individually. And I liked his Colonel Rhodes in that movie, but I don't think that it would have been as good as what we got the way it came together. I got to see Avengers two weeks early, the 2012 Avengers. Um, two weeks early, a friend of mine through Repo, um, Maria, she's like, she just, she knows things that other people don't know. And so she got, somehow got wind of if you want to find any celebrity in the world, she will find them for you in 30 minutes. She knows exactly where they are and, and what they're doing. Like she's amazing. Um, so she found out that there was this um, early screening and how to get tickets for it. Um, and, and a group of us, like five of us went. Um, and then, and she's like, I think stars from the, the movie are going to be there because I heard that they were filming an, uh, uh, another scene out here so what it turned out to be was the shawarma scene they they were adding that in later they wanted to add that stinger in and they came out to film it that place by the way um is uh elot burger on pico in uh the kind of beverly hills the very jewish area of beverly hills the iruv um and i lived down the block from it um and and so we saw it in a theater that was century city's uh amc there um that's like blocks from where they went and filmed the, the shawarma scene um, and they had 
I can't even remember everyone, but Clark Gregg was there. Hemsworth was there. Uh, Kobe Smulders was there. I didn't even know. I hadn't, see, I hadn't been a How I Met, How, uh, How I Met Your Mother fan yet. Um, I watched that later. That was like my, my, my binge after divorce. Great binge. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just, I only, she was Agent Hill. Um, and then, and then I was like, oh my God, once I started watching the show, I'm like, oh, she's great. I love her. Um, but they were all there and, um, someone else, I can't remember one of the, uh, Ruffalo was there. So right. like Hemsworth and Ruffalo were like the biggest. Um, but that was, that was a really cool, but my best cinema experience was a theater that shall remain nameless. Um, uh, ha- likes to test the DCP just to make sure everything works perfectly the night they get it so if it's releasing the next day the key is active at 1201 um and so (laughs) um i i said hey do you happen to be doing that with this here uh, avengers endgame that's going to be happening i actually got to go so previous to that um i uh i got to cast the marvel fan pits for the premieres for for about a year and a half um, and so I'd put all the cosplayers in the, in the areas and stuff. And so we did uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. We did Infinity War. Um, so I got to see Infinity War like with, with the cast uh, at the Chinese theater. And when you walk out of that one and all, the, all that, and you're like, I can't believe they just did that. I, was, I did not see that coming. Like, and you're just like, oh my God. And, and you know, when we had to wait that, so the premiere is like, a, you know, four five days before it was like a tuesday and it dropped on friday and, and i'm like just seeing you know i'm just like i can't even say anything it's a spoiler but i'm just like none of you are prepared for this at all like not so when endgame came out i got to i got to do the endgame premiere but they did not let us watch the movie they did a very like because that was all tight-lipped what was going to happen and and they really made sure there were no leaks of that um, so they didn't let anyone but the 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 stars and related people go in and watch it. Um, and so uh, I was like, well, I got to do this cool thing with all these people. And I had flown in some cosplayers from other side of the country so they could be a part of it. And, uh, and I wanted to put together like a real special thing. So I got to basically have a big, beautiful theater um, to me and my friends. And I didn't want it to be, I didn't want to like invite everyone. So I just sent text messages around and it had to be coded. Right. Cause if anyone ever like, we, I didn't want to get the theater in oh, trouble or yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I just, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like, Hey, um, uh, a friend of mine that has a theater, uh, wants to test this, uh, this new movie that's coming out and just make sure that it works right. The sound is good and everything. So, uh, they asked that I invite some friends to see a movie. Um, and it's going to be at 1201. Uh, and you know, you can, uh, let me know if you want to bring anyone else, but just know that this is special invite only, and we will not speak of it. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, so I, so I, and I didn't even go like bananas, I, I maybe invited a hundred people and I could have had 400, right? Sure. I invited a hundred people. Um, and, and I'm like, you know, this is how we're going to do this, right? We're, everyone's going to have their different emotional reactions to different things. And we get that, but it's like measured because every, everyone was a super fan. So no one wanted to have like that guy in the theater, right? That's like, oh my God. So there's no whispering about anything. And you'd hear people like, like they cheer, but it'd be like a second and a half of cheering, like especially at key moments, like uh, worthy and all that. And, and it's just like, yes. And then stop because they want to hear everything. They want to hear all it's just from the, from the score to the lines, to everything. They want to hear it all. 
So it's like, even, and when they're crying and like, they're holding it in, you know, and like, God, I would, I'd look around and, and, you know, some of, some of these are, are not just like devotees of these characters or of the movies or of the comics for decades, people that, that like cosplay these characters that emulate them to such a degree. Like I'm, I'm seeing, you know, four like, like known around the world, black widow cosplayers, like fucking crying. Right. And, and uh, just stuff like that. And, and it was just like the emotion that literally everyone is feeling the same wave is the coolest movie experience I ever saw. Like, and we get out of there at three in the morning and we're all hugging each other and we're crying like satisfaction. It's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, did you ever see the clip of Mark Ruffalo essentially spoiling Endgame at like D23? <laughs> Oh God! Him and Tom Holland, like you can't let them. They they're supposed to be banned from the circuit now. Like they're not allowed to speak that's unless hilarious. there's someone else there that has like a buzzer that's ready to, you know, <laughs> jolt them or mute them. Um, yeah. Got to put a shot collar on those guys. Do you think so? So this goes back to where we're replacing of a character. Uh, do you think that Ed Norton would have been able to do a good of job that Ruffalo has done? Ooh. Okay. So in general, I will say that I am. Uh, a supporter of recasting whenever it's necessary, right? Like, so um, I would offshoot real quick. Let's, this is such a, let's not go down this tangent, but I'm just going to say the new Star Wars movies, right? It's like they had to, I don't want old, I'm not being ageist or anyone, so shut the F up. Um, I don't want old ass Han Solo running around the galaxy. That's not exciting to me. Recast the goddamn role and give me mid 40s Han, Luke, and Leia doing their thing. Give me, you know, whether or not you want to take the, 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 the um, expanded universe legacy, legends, whatever the hell they rebranded that, and, and take those stories. I would have loved that. But whatever you want to do, give me Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker. I was right? just about to bring get, that up Get too. Nathan Fillion's ass on a fucking treadmill and give me him as Han Solo. All right. Mm. Um, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll think of a good uh, Leia. Um, there's, there's actually a, probably a good handful of people that'd be a great lad. But anyway, um, that's what I wanted. Not like it's gotta be Mark, Harry and, and, and Harrison running around the galaxy again. Right. Sure. Or, or old ass Billy D trying to be smooth when, when he's like, you know, his knees are going to disintegrate. Um, so I'm all about recasting. That's fine. I love it. And I'm not going to like compare them to the originals. Um, you know, it's totally fine. Uh, that said, you know, um, in, in much the same way that I think they, they did a great job of crafting the role to Don Cheadle, I think they did a great job of changing Ed Norton's Hulk into Ruffalo's Hulk, right? And that it's also the dynamic, too, of having, um, oh, God, why am I blanking on uh, uh, Ross's, what's her name? Um, his girlfriend, uh, General Ross's daughter. Okay, um, well, yeah, and that was a recast as well because it right. was originally Jennifer Connelly and, then, Connelly Liv, and yep. then Liv Tyler. Yep. Um, yeah, you're going back to the Nick Nolte and Eric Bana Hulk was when it was uh, Connelly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, that, that Bruce that's interacting with General Ross and with her, like that's a whole different guy than the guy that's like been alone in you know, the Peruvian jungle or wherever it was forever. Um, and then gets gets recruited into into the Avengers. I swallowed a bullet and he spit it back out. <laughs> that was a good line. That was a really good oh, line. there there are a lot of great lines from it. Um, 
but uh, man, that was, yeah. Uh, a, a recasting that I always uh, like to, uh, that ever since I was told about it is uh, Aliens. And that's uh, Hicks. Uh, James, James Remar was originally supposed to play Hicks. Uh, ah. I want to say it was James Remar. I might be wrong with the name, but he got, he was, he had a drinking problem and he was uh, recast with the gentleman that played it, uh, who actually was asked to appear in Aliens 3, but when he found out that it was such a short appearance and that his character was killed before the opening scroll was done, he said no. Huh. I did a screen, I did a midnight screening of Aliens uh, up in Hollywood, and we did like little handprint ceremonies and stuff in the cement up front whenever I had a star. Um, and uh, I had uh, Private Vasquez was there. Uh, her name's Jeanette Goldstein. And I just, you look at Vasquez and you don't realize that she's this little Jewish woman um, <laughs> and not, not Latinx. You know, um, of, the, of, the midnight shows, of the midnight shows you did, I actually have to thank you uh, because you did a midnight screening of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And when I saw that you got Diane Franklin, I reached out to her and we actually, after we did our show, I brought you up and she had nothing but the kindest things to she say. She is the you. sweetest. I want to, I want to take my stepdaughter to her for acting lessons. Um, she is just super, super sweet um, and awesome and has some fun stories. I don't know what content you got out of that, but uh, some of her, some of her onset stories and, and some of the, um, the interaction with the, the young heartthrobs. Yeah, uh, it was very fun. We very talked, fun Hollywood gossip. We talked We talked a little bit about the works. Uh, we also had her on the other podcast I do uh, this week at the box office. Uh, we had her on for when we covered uh, Amityville 2, uh, really? since, she, since she was in that. Um, I, I, I mean, but, uh, you know, we're about 40 minutes in, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and we've only answered one of the questions, questions you sent me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we can rapid fire and stop going on tangents if you want. Oh, no, I'd rather. I, I love <laughs> I, everything we're talking about is great. And uh, it's fun for me. And hopefully it's fun for the listeners. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with, with that, though, what is a movie that you could watch every day? Top Gun. All right. I, I, every line of Top Gun, I know it. I'll do it in all the right inflections. Uh, when, when uh, my, my, at the end of my bachelor party, we won't talk about the rest of it, but it ended at the theater that I performed Rocky Horror at, the New Art Theater, um, at like 2.15 in the morning. As Rocky is getting out, the limo pulls up from the bachelor party. And I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. And they had arranged for a 35 millimeter print of Top Gun um, and, and we ran around and we're plastered out of our goddamn minds, like so, so smashed, um, that, and, and we started shadow casting Top Gun as it was playing and we're running around with our arms out, like we're fucking airplanes dogfighting. And then we shadowed the volleyball scene and we're diving all over the stage, bump yeah. set spiking. It was hilarious. So funny. Um, but Top Gun, I could watch Top Gun every freaking day. Love that movie. Are you excited for the sequel? Oh God, yeah. God, I'm I'm worried though um, uh, about Val because you know he's like missing half his tongue. So like, you know, uh, it's a little tough to deliver lines and be Iceman. Sure, um, sure. I, I the trailer that they show. I do they even show Val Kilmer? No, but I know he's in it. All right, all right. I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm a big John Hamm fan. So I'm excited yeah. to see what he's going to bring to it. Uh, Top Gun is a fun one. Um, what's a movie that you, uh, you love to watch that can take you back to your childhood? 
Ooh, that, I mean, and you oh, can give a couple, a, I mean, you can, a lot of them, right? Yeah, How sure. do you not, um, yeah. uh, God, what makes me feel like, like straight back to the, t- any of the star Wars stuff. Um, I actually love return of the Jedi. I know that's not the popular pick and like hipster star Wars fans say that it's uh, empire, but nobody fucking liked empire strikes back until Kevin Smith did. And because he's king of the nerds and I, I, I love him. I've, I've worked with him a couple of times. All due respect to Kev. Um, but until he wrote that into uh, Clerks. Nobody gave a shit about Empire. I grew up, nobody freaking talked about Empire. Like, and I mean, I granted we didn't have message boards and, and the internet like we do now, but um, it wasn't popular until Clerks. Um, but I love Return of the Jedi. That makes me feel like a kid. Uh, Princess Bride, probably the most. Like, and I was, I was going to ask you just really quick, right over your, your left shoulder, that's Princess Bride, right? Oh yeah, 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 I got the yeah. little um, <laughs> Princess Buttercup and Wesley. Yeah, <laughs> funny morbid story. Uh, I bought that for my <laughs> ex-wife, um, and it took so long to ship that we uh, split up before it arrived. <laughs> and <laughs> and <laughs> I loved it so much. It's such a great figure. I didn't give a shit that it was uh, connected to her. You just kept it because it's great. On I kept its own. it. Yeah, yeah. never yeah. told it. It's so fun. It arrived like like two months or so after we had uh separated and i'd ordered it like um it, it arrived and so it basically took like four months or five months and i forgot that i had I'd even ordered it and then it showed up and i was like what the fuck is this that's awesome. oh yeah that was the <laughs> gift uh, i'm keeping uh, it it's great that's awesome um <laughs> and uh, i got to do so i did i've uh uh had a number of sit downs with carrie elwes and he is the best storyteller in the world um if if you haven't read his book I highly recommend uh, his book, As You Wish. Um, but it's not only a great read, if you do the audiobook, he's got a couple of people doing voices, um, but he does voices for the people that didn't show up when he's recount, re- recounting a story. And he does uh, this, this Andre the Giant impression that's really damn funny. Um, but he just tells phenomenal stories. Uh, he is a lot of fun. A lot of fun if you ever get a chance to, to interview him. So I, I invited him when he was doing this book tour to do a midnight screening um, at the Vista. And we did the handprint ceremony and, and he was signing the book copies. And um, it, was, it was just awesome. And then LA Comic-Con um, booked him as a guest. Um, and, and then they were like talking about who would be the QA person. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we're going to have uh, uh, Bernie Bregman do it. He's uh, did the, the Vista screening. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was great. Like you know, I feel like his uh, personal QA host. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and Princess Bride is a great one. That's one that takes me back to my childhood. Um, you know, uh, the, the cast alone uh, with, with everyone, everyone going from Fred Savage all the way to Christopher Guest. Uh, I mean, even, yeah. even Billy Crystal, Carol Kane. Uh, did you see the, um, was it Quibi or whoever did the, did the Princess Bride, like, you know, different different stars doing it from quarantine at home i saw the trailer for it and oh that, my god dude that alone made me cry. watch it watch it it's so good it's so freaking good i can't even there's so many moments and it's only 45 minutes it's all right it's 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 so great it's worth everything i'll have it. to check it out i'll have to check it out um with uh when it comes to movies a director can make or break a film uh they can have a great legacy uh, or they can leave behind a tarnished record. Uh, when it comes to directors, uh, who are some of your favorites? Who do you like to lean towards? Oh, man. Um, Spielberg's got to take the cake. Who have you met? His, his legacy is 
Titan is is so huge, right? Like Titanic, um, that was that was Cameron. No, I know that I know that was Cameron. That's why I stopped myself. I was using Titanic as an adjective, um, but and then I'm like, oh wait, that's a movie. Um, no, and I and I don't love Cameron to be honest. Like I mean, yeah, Terminator was great. Titanic was great. Whatever. Uh, I think Dances with Smurfs is so mediocre. Um, and things have dethroned it at the box office, um, or at least that Endgame did in the, the worldwide. Anyway, um, Spielberg, like, he, there's, you wouldn't have so many other great directors that we could talk about if you didn't have Spielberg. And, and it, the things that he did that he inspired, the technologies that he created or that people created under his umbrella, like, you know, um, his, his fluid camera movement, um you know one of the this will not be when i drop this name the first movie you would think i would talk about when i talk about spielberg but saving private ryan when you watch saving private ryan and he took the protective coating layer off of the lenses to film the storming the beachfront at normandy and the when i saw that in a theater I it was uh, I was working where i had to wear like you know a uh, button up shirt and a tie i had to at first i loosened my tie and then I had to undo that button. And then I had to undo the belt of my pants and undo my top button there because I was so anxious by how, how in World War II I was with the first 15 minutes of that movie. Sure. Um, it's, it's just incredible. If you ask me what's the most well-directed movie of all time, it is Saving Private Ryan. Um, not my favorite Spielberg movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think that he could have done better uh, with Ready Player One, which is probably my favorite book of all time. Um, but it was, it was so funny that where I think, beautiful. Yeah, I just downloaded the audio. I can't wait. And Will does a great job reading it. Um, uh, his, his intent to not um, self-gratify was actually a hindrance. So he's trying to do the right thing and be like, ah, I don't want to go back into too much of my stuff. And like that, Even though but, it's a heavy influence in the book. But that's what we love about Ready Player One is yes. so many of the great things that Spielberg had a part of. Yeah, um, absolutely. But nonetheless, it was still a really, really, really good movie adaptation of the book. Anyway, Spielberg is just fantastic. Like, sure. I'd probably... His worst movie, and I don't even know what it would be, is, is 95% of directors' best effort. BFG. I didn't even see it. I, I saw it in the theater and I should have walked out. Uh, there, <laughs> there, I, I, there, there have been two movies. So I've walked out of a handful of movies in my life. There have been two movies that I sat through that I should have walked out. Sorry, three movies. One of them is Kids. That's a movie that I'll never get my time back on. Oof, yeah. B, BFG by Steven Spielberg and mm. uh, Green Room. Didn't three see Green Room. I, I get you. I feel you on kids though. That's a tough watch. That's like, that's a heavy, heavy movie. Um, yeah. No, but Spielberg was the perfect, like he, he has the heart of a child, right? And in, in, in the, in the good sense, right? Like he, he has sure. the whimsy and the magic, you know, he just, he's never lost no matter. He's what, like 75. He has never lost touch with that sure. at all, but he is like a, just a, brilliant technician right and he is always about you know what what is the latest um, techniques and technologies and and all of that kind of thing and how can i leverage that and 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 modernizing um and he's just so so damn brilliant 
Yeah, I'd have to say probably I mean, Jurassic Park is probably my favorite Spielberg. I was just going to mention that. So there, there have been really three or maybe I'll have to think of what the newest one with the fourth one is, but, but three gigantic shifts in, um, uh, in, in cinema from a technical standpoint, star Wars was the first one that took us out of the, the old style of filmmaking. You could credit jaws too, but, but really star Wars, right. And, and ILM and, and, uh, uh John Dykstra and all those guys. Um, and then the next one was Jurassic park. Jurassic Park was the evolution in the, you know, after Star Wars. So it took what, thir- uh, uh, 16 years um, to get to the next like jump in, in technology and special effects. Those freaking dinosaurs looked so goddamn real. Like, you know, and any, ev- every kid was enamored with dinosaurs and, and to see that look that real was unbelievable. And by the way, if you ever watch it in 35 millimeter, it still holds up. I was, it was the last thing that I screened in 35 millimeter before I switched my uh, midnight movie series to digital. Um, And there was one, one frame that was missing on the helicopter ride to the Island. So it didn't really matter. It's like far from a key shot. Um, And everything else was so gorgeous. I was tremendous. I think the next jump was, I don't know if you want to credit Titanic or the matrix, but I feel like, and that wasn't that long after it was like five years later. Um, but those, those were pretty, I feel like Titanic was still living off of Jurassic park. Um, and, and the matrix maybe did some things we hadn't really seen before. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know? And then I don't know, I don't know what you would consider after that, but God damn, those, uh, those dudes at Marvel are doing some things. Yeah. But I, I love, I, yeah, Jurassic park is, is always been a good one, but yeah, Spielberg's got a great, a great collective work. Um, a question that uh, I'm, I'm essentially really asking for the first time uh, because uh, upon researching all of the research I did for my other show, uh, I came to the realization of the first movie that I cognitively remember going to see in the theater. Do you remember the first movie that you went to see in the theater? Yes. And it's a jumping off point for, I remember it because I, um, I won't say I wage this battle, but I'm like a grumpy old man yelling at clouds when it comes to spoilers. Everyone else that's spoiler sensitive bugs the living crap out of me. And I think they're so damn obnoxious. I don't think a spoiler ruins the whole experience for me. And I think that that's someone trying to like get attention for being a victim. Um, and, you know, I, I think that um, uh, just freaking whatever, right? And, it's, and, and it gets to an argument of whose responsibility is it to treat the internet a certain way? Do I, I have more of a right to go react on my timeline than you do to avoid a spoiler or something like that? And I can argue that social media was made for reacting. Anyway, that rant aside, um, a spoiler uh, happened in my first memory of seeing uh, something in the theaters. So the year was 1983. I was four years old. I'm in line for the second screening of this film. So there's the matinee screening at like 9.30 or 10 a.m. And then I am in for that noon screening uh, with my parents. And this was at the, uh, uh, the Crest Theater on Westwood Boulevard, which is a beautiful, beautiful theater. Um, uh, deco interior. It's amazing. Um, so I'm in line and people get out of the first screening and a bunch of douchebag UCLA students in a Jeep. And this is like the old, you know, uncovered kind of like off-roading type of Jeep before they, they, you know, made all these nice new Jeeps. Anyway, these dudes 
are rolling through. They're probably, they were probably drinking in the theater and they're driving by the line and they're yelling, it's true. He's his father. And they spoiled return of the Jedi. Holy shit. They Homer people through the line was throwing shit at them. It was amazing. People if, had gotten like drinks and stuff from the Seven Eleven. If that Jeep had broken down, them. oh my god, those guys would be dead. They would be dead. Oh man, um, I didn't care. I didn't care. Sure, um, that's that's so Jedi. By the way, for everyone listening, Kaiser Sose is uh, Kevin Spacey. You don't say. I love it. a sled. Get over it. I love that movie. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) dies. Everybody dies. Um, For me, it was Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, yeah, my mom pulled me out of... It's Vigo. Yes. The Scourge. We heard these. Yes. Yes. I was watching... For why have you came? I was watching The Blacklist the other day. And there was an episode where a dude who played the judge in Ghostbusters 2 is talking about oh. death. Is talking Burn at the stakes! Is talking about death. And, and he comes so close. He's like, death is... And I'm like, but a doorway. Death is but a doorway. <laughs> Time is but a window. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> um, yeah, my mom... Oh, why does Ghostbusters 2 get panned? I fucking love that movie. I love it. I my love mo- it. Why do people not like Ghostbusters 2? Because it's so similar to Ghostbusters 1. Um, Isn't that what we, we love? That's why we came back. We wanted more of that. We wanted more of that. Um, my mother pulled me out of school early. I was in That's first, what I loved about The Force Awakens. I was in like first or second grade. Um, one thing I love about Force Awakens, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, and I don't know if this is necessarily a jab at the prequels, but do you know what the opening line of The Force Awakens is? No, I don't. That's this wild should, that I don't know that. This should uh it's it's uh this should begin to make things right again. It's something along oh, those lines. Oh, was it um uh what's his name? Um uh Oh my god, I'm blanking on the amazing older actor. Is it Christopher Plummer? It wasn't Plummer. Um he wasn't he wasn't uh it was um Oh, come on. But you know, you know, it's it's that that opening scene with Oscar yeah. Isaac. Yeah, 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 yeah. This should this should make things right again. It's essentially it's I I take it as kind of a of a we're gonna we're gonna. That's what you're in store for the whole ride. <laughs> um, you know what though the the sequel trilogy has um, ignited more support for the prequel trilogy. If, yeah, if, a lot like, of people coming out defending that that prequel trilogy, which I for which I really have no issue with. I really think uh, that episodes one through three do give us some of the the greatest lightsaber battles. Oh yeah, ever. Oh yeah. Um, like there's there's there. Nothing. I mean, Obi Wan, Anakin on Mustafar is mwah, chef's kiss. I, um, <laughs> but the 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 two on one against Darth Maul is tremendous, and, and, Yoda, and I Yoda love Yoda versus Yoda Dooku. and Dooku is so good. So good. Sort of the, the, it's this long, right? All the other scenes are more you know protracted and like yeah, and it's this short. But Yoda, when when he and he doesn't grab his lightsaber because he's fucking Yoda. He opens the goddamn cloak and calls it to his hands like a fucking G. Yes, absolutely. Oh my god, I did, and I know that some you know, God, Star Wars fans fucking ruined Star Wars. By the way. Um, 
but uh no that scene's great and seeing yoda twirling around like that is so cool and i have to say for me um of all the star wars films my favorite's rogue one oh yeah it's the best one easily and the and it's it's the thing for me is it's titanic you walk in knowing exactly how it's going to end you, know, you would like, think I so many people. I guess maybe they're more muggles, um, not like deep Star Wars fans, um, but uh, the lay people, if you will. Um, but I still like I'll you know. But there are people at conventions and stuff, and we'll t- be talking about Star Wars and be like, I couldn't believe like they all died, or like, or or they think they got out somehow, right? Like they're like they didn't see them die, and it's like I wonder if they'll do more with Jin or so. And I'm like, oh honey, no, she's dead. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, the whole planet was blown up. They all died. The whole thing. The shield was closed. You know, they tell they don't they have tra- they don't they don't have uh, uh, beaming technology. They tell you that the at the rest. beginning of New Hope. They tell you at New Hope. They're like, everyone died. They got us. Yeah. 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 Um, well, but you know, but the the one thing. Okay, so we don't know what happened to everyone in the space battle, right? So we do see the ghost from Rebels. It makes a little appearance above Scarif. Um, and we don't know if the ghost survived or not. Although there's those uh, those shorts, I forget what they're called, but there's uh, they did those the YouTube shorts, and they do count as canon. Um, I was just looking at. Hold on, I know what it's called. Um, <laughs> oh man, okay, I can't find it. But there's these. Uh, oh, Force of Destiny, Star okay. Wars Forces of Destiny, uh, and they're like they're like five minute animated um you know shorts in the star wars universe that kind of fill in some gaps and one of them is uh harrison doula um was at the battle of endor so there you go there you go um i mean we could probably do an entire episode just talking about star wars but yeah yeah rogue one rogue one is probably for me my favorite of them it wasn't tied to you know they weren't beholden to so many other things the way the way the other um other star wars films or even even solo um you know was tied to to you know the all of our preconceived notions about han and you know all that stuff uh, what are you? Th- not a lot of people really liked Solo. Are you? Are you? What's your? What did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Um, it was a fun heist movie. Like, who doesn't love a heist movie? I love the Italian Job, right? Um, it was the Italian Job in space. Um, I I was at the premiere, so the 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 stormtrooper helmet above me is signed by the entire uh, cast of Solo, and and then whoever else rolled through. Um, like Billy D was at that premiere, even though he's not in that. And, and, you know, that was prelude to him, um, being in, in, uh, Rise of Skywalker. Anyway, um, uh, I thought it was a, a fun movie in the Star Wars universe. My only issue was I didn't think Alden Ehrenreich did a, did what I think Han Solo should be. Right. Okay. Um, and he didn't need to do an impression of Harrison, even though I liked, I forget that, that kid that they found that played Harrison's son in some, you know, European movie or whatever, and looks just like him. Um, like that might've been cool. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It was just something about the, like, they tried to make him too good. And what makes Han Solo one of the most intriguing characters in the history of cinema is that he popularized the anti-hero. Sure. He's the root. He popularized the anti-hero. That wasn't cool. So like all those dudes, even I'll skew this into our earlier conversation. You couldn't have Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and their popularity in the 90s if you didn't have Han Solo in 1977. 
because that created the the appreciation and the sexiness of the anti-hero like rough around the edges but i'm still going to do some good deeds and save the day but like i think i'm pretty amazing and i'm going to make sure you know i think i'm amazing because i am <laughs> you know yeah absolutely like, you, you know you're you're not supposed to like him you're supposed to like the altruistic characters and i feel like like what he did for any for for god so many that you wouldn't love uh, i mean it's a direct correlation but you wouldn't love mal reynolds if if you know not for han solo sure. um and and tons of other tons of other characters uh jack o'neill in stargate like you wouldn't love him if if not for han solo like he paved the way absolutely um, but yeah, um, I thought Solo was all right. It didn't suck. I don't think, I think fans are so entitled and they have this, this sense of ownership that just blows my mind. Like, where do you get off thinking like, like they can't do you wrong? Like you're not the fucking IP owner. And let's even dial it back one further step. And this is where I defend the prequels. Like, like them or not, those motherfuckers came from George Lucas. And they he made money. Own Star Wars. If that's what he says, then that's what fucking goes, and you get it and you like it. Be happy that we continue to get more content. All right. Instead of being so goddamn critical of what they could and should do to please your own freaking headcanon from your fanfic online, like. Just be happy that we're getting stuff and don't be an ingrateful jerk online and, and make the, the, the stars of, of the franchise that you say you love, so it's in your profile, and make those stars leave social media because they're not good enough for you. They're not what you envisioned in your fucking head. God, Star Wars fans especially are the worst at this. Man. That being said, God, I definitely have feelings on who they should cast as Grand Admiral Thrawn when he makes an appearance in season three of The Mandalorian. Who, who would you pick? It depends on where in his life you want him to be. Um, my first choice is Jason Isaacs. He has basically played every Ooh. character that would have been Thrawn's frat brothers. Um, he's, he's literally perfect. Like, there's nobody... You can't make an argument that anybody is more perfect than Jason Isaacs for all of the things that make Thrawn, you know, like what he is in his core character. Um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch would also be incredible, right? Because when you think about Thrawn, you need somebody that is, um, you know, parts, uh, he's, he's brilliant, calculating, sinister, measured, cunning, brilliant, and lethal right? And his voice has to have a certain gravitas, because even before Lars Mikkelsen played him in Rebels, and I think Lars actually would make a good live-action Thrawn, but I do not feel that it needs to be beholden to him, because he's the VO actor, um, you know, in much the same way, like, it would have been cool if Ashley Eckstein was Ahsoka, but I think uh, Rosario knocked it out of the park. Um, but uh, Lars is the bottom of my top list of, of people that, that should play him. Um, but there's something about the voice and Cumberbatch definitely has that like gravitas to his voice where he could say like a three word sentence and send chills down your spine. You got to be able to do that. Um, Hugh Laurie. I was about to say. Would be, uh, he actually, when you think about it, when you look at him, he'd actually be a, a great uh, modern Tarkin. Um, but he would also be a, a really good Thrawn. Um, if you want him a little bit younger and a little more like kind of physical, Michael Fassbender. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's a good one. Michael, all of those qualities, uh, even a little touch of suave. 
Um, this is my, my slightly outside of the box pick, and that's Lee Pace, who, by the way, has already played a blue character. Um, <laughs> uh, but but he, if you, if you look at his work as Ronan the Accuser, even his work as Thranduil in um, the Lord of the Rings prequels um, or the Hobbit, the Hobbit movies, um, you know, he has a lot of those, those qualities. Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell, great villain. Um, if that name doesn't ring a bell, he's uh, um, the jerky bad guy in uh, A Knight's Tale. Um, oh, yeah. No, okay. exactly. You're talking You've been about. weighed, measured, and found wanting. Um, so, that, so those guys and Lars Mikkelsen. Like, look, there's other people that could be good. You know, Hugo Weaving could be good. Um, uh, God, who's... There's, there's some other, I've had this conversation a lot recently because of the, uh, the hint in Mandalorian. If you want really young, Nicholas Holt could do it. Uh, Christopher Eccleston or Matt Smith, both previous doctors. Um, I would love to them. see, I would love to see Eccleston. Eccleston's and, my favorite doctor. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's fantastic. I wish he had had more. Same, same. Ten, I think it's hard. I, I almost, they're just so different, all of them really, but he and Tennant are like neck and neck for me. Um, and I like Matt Smith, but they're decidedly above Matt Smith, who is decidedly above everybody else. Um, but they're just so different. But God, Eccleston is just mesmerizing. So yeah, absolutely. Good. Anyway, he he would also be a, a very good Thrawn. But I think I think I like the rest in my list before I get to him. And there you go. Um, do you remember the first movie to give you nightmares? Ooh, so I watched horror way before I should have watched horror. My parents were very fast and loose with uh, access to the TV and it was before the time of parental controls and I had the box, right, with the red numbers on the front. Sure, yep, yep, yep. Buttons on the top and I had the big square remote. Um, So uh, I I used to, um, so we had, uh, um, I would commando crawl into my parents' bedroom because they had a TV in the bedroom and they would stay up late watching it, but they would fall asleep. And if I wasn't asleep, I would crack the door because they never latched it. And I'd just be like, are they asleep? Are they up? Oh, they're asleep. And they had like, it was a kind of a tall bed, not quite like Princess in the Pea, um, but it obstructed their angled view at the, the carpet. Um, and so, and I knew that from playing up on the bed with them. Um, so if I cracked the door open and they didn't notice that I could commando crawl on the ground and get to the front of the bed and they would not be able to see me. Um, so I would make sure they were asleep. I would get the remote off of the bed, um, like, you know, without standing up. So I'm like crawling around. I'm like looking for it. Is it on mom's nightstand? Is it on the bed in between them or whatever? And I'd just be like, whoosh, grab the remote and crawl and just watch, you know, showtime at three in the morning. This is the first way I saw Princess Bride. Um, and that's how it became my favorite movie was like watching it when I was real, real young. But, uh, amidst all of that, I would find all that horror programming at, you know, three in the morning. Um, and, uh, I think that the, the, the idea of Chucky and a doll coming to life and killing you, um, as a person that had many toys and similar things, I had my buddy, my buddy, and, uh, <laughs> my buddy, my buddy, my buddy, you know, I had that and I had, um, uh, other stuff that was like similar. And I was like, get those fucking toys out of my room. I don't want to see those ever again. That shit's going to come alive. It's a murderer's spirit. I don't know. So child's play was definitely up there as uh, a very disturbing movie. I'm right there with you. Uh, you mentioned earlier, ready player one, uh, my favorite scene in the entirety of ready. Oh, player when he one. throws the Chucky doll at him, he's like, Hey, 
Yeah, and he basically goes, "Oh fuck!" Um, yeah, yeah. That's, There's some really great nods in that movie, even though they didn't get all of the references that I loved in the book. Uh, they still added a lot of really great stuff. They really did. They really did. It was a really fun one. But uh, I think my play- biggest um, disappointment in that is uh, um, that they how much they changed the challenges. I thought that that was. That was where I was, like, I was like, "Come on, you can still do the D and D reference." And you know, sure, uh, um, for me, for me with it, it it was I I understood why they didn't do the Gundam and they chose Iron Giant. Mm-hmm. Like I understand yes. that it's it's a representable thing that not everyone is going to know, but everyone's going to know Iron Giant. For yep. me, it was the getting of the quarter. I thought it should have been Voltron, but whatever. That would have been a great one. But if when Ultron he, is mentioned when they when they all get whatever that challenge was where they got to choose a giant robot thing, um, uh, Voltron is mentioned in there, but it was like already taken. And then you know uh, they're they're like really digging into Wade's nerdiness, and and then he chooses like that uh, Spider Man or whatever. Sure. For me, if it had been me and it was available, I would have gone Megazord. That's just me. Um, but uh, when he gets the quarter. From from playing the scene of the memory, mm-hmm. I would have much rather had the perfect game of Pac-Man. Yes, agreed. and as as much as I love The Shining, yeah, didn't like that that change either. Totally agree with you. Like I said, I, I didn't I didn't love going away from uh, the source. the challenge the challenges that were in the book. The one thing I will um, say, uh, and I'm not I'm not giving anything away, and I don't want to harp on the book too much. Uh, for me, I, I get it that the thing that we loved about the first book was all the pop culture references. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm. There's literally a, a scene where someone makes a pop culture reference, and Wade rolls his eyes. And as I'm reading that, I'm rolling my eyes at the reference that's being made. There's an already. I'm thirty pages. You mean in, in. in two in Ready Player Two? Yeah, it's gotcha. just an overabundance of pop culture references. But I'm hoping. I'm excited. I'm so I, I'm, excited. No, I, I, into I, I picked it. it up. I picked it up today again, and, and I read for I read for like 45 minutes straight. Like I read <laughs> on my on my lunch from work. So it's it's a fun read. It's a fun read. But um, this next question can be taken one of two ways, um, and I always I'm always intrigued on on how the guest is going to answer it. But what's a movie that you can watch once and you never have to watch it again? Man, okay, so I'm drawing a blank right now, and I've definitely like had this conversation of like, you know, I don't know. Um, You know, it's funny because I mentioned Saving Private Ryan earlier, and I've seen it more than once, but like, it's not a movie for as much as I appreciate it that I ever want to pop in, right? You don't feel good watching that fucking movie, right? Like, everyone died. All these cool actors, by the way, that all went on to be awesome um, and were small potatoes in in that movie, Um, you know, but like, it's, but you just, you watch it once and you're like, I get it. It's amazing, but I'm good. I'm good now. Um, that's up there. I'm trying to think some of the, some of the big like award-winning movies of the last like 10 years, even it's so funny. They get the best picture award and you're like, that's an amazing picture. I never need to see it again. You know, I don't, I don't need to see La La Land ever again. The Revenant. That was great. That's a perfect example, right? I saw it. They finally gave Leo the award. He deserved it five other times at least. Like, but he definitely but, deserved it for what's eating Gilbert Grape. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Dude, I he fucking, fucking deserved it for Wolf of Wall Street. Are you uh, kidding yeah, me? Yeah. Which is, by the way, the best Motley Crue movie I ever saw. Better than I, the dirt. I was gonna say better than the dirt. Um, 
Yeah, there's a bunch of those though, man. The, the, there's a bunch of movies that you can just see once and be like, that was amazing. I'm good. Yeah. For and me, I feel like it's the more artistic or au- the auteur cinema. I feel like a lot of those you never need to watch again. The Artist, I thought, I never need to watch it again. Sure. I didn't even, I'll be honest, I didn't even really like it. Like I appreciated what they were doing and I, I got why it, but I feel like, I feel like that was one of the fakest, like best movies ever. Silent like, movie, my silent movie by Mel Brooks is a better silent ooh, movie than the. Artist. Yes, yes. Um, anything um, by Mel Brooks is better than whoever did the thing that it was like. Um, um, <laughs> even even Star Wars, dude. Spaceballs is amazing. I named I do so. I don't know if I ever told you this. I had a cockatiel that I got when I was about four or five years old that lived till I was about twenty seven, twenty eight, and his name was Barf. Because puke, whatever they gave it, they, <laughs> they gave it to me, and they're like, "You can name it whatever you want." And I loved Spaceballs, so I was like, "Barf." Um, so for me, uh, when that question was originally created, and it was kind of asked of me of a movie that I ha- I could watch once and I never have to watch again, the initial answer was Kids, and then that was changed to a movie that I don't think you ever have to watch. In reality, I think American History X. Oh, yeah. And There Will Be Blood. Two great movies yeah. that you can watch once and you never have to watch again. Yeah, no, you never need to see that curb stomp scene ever Seven. Again. Seven is another one. And I think... Yes. I waited until I was 23 to watch Seven and I still think I was too young. That movie still... No, that movie fucked well, me. Well, I mean, they went a place that, like, back then you never go. And now they do plenty of times. Like, there's got to be... St- you know, fans have, have made cinema change because we need so much more. And I kind of don't know that we need it, right? Like, you can even just look at running times to understand that. The average running time is well over two hours now. And it used to be, like, you're, you hour did and not a half. break an hour and a half. Wow. Like, as, as the closer you were getting to two hours uh, rather than an hour and a half, like, the worst, the worst your film was going to do. Um, and that's because we filled in blanks on our own, right? The, the filmmakers would, would give us their story, but they didn't need to, to explain everything and give us backstory. And like, we would just fill in the blanks however we wanted to. And I think that's, it's a totally different cinematic experience than today where we need the character's origins and their motivations and all these other things. And, and we're, we don't let ourselves make an assumption. We need, we have to have the fact. Uh, change in, in cinema culture. Of course, of course. Um, with that, we, we kind of come to, uh, to, the, to the last movie. Um, but I'm going to, you know what? I was going to ask this earlier when we were talking Marvel uh, because this just was on the Joe Reese episode. And and I, I hadn't really talked I know to that many, guy. I hadn't really talked to many people about it just because not not a lot of people are really into it. But it was one of those moments where I was falling asleep and my brain was like, Hey, are you awake? And I'm like, Yeah. And it's it brings this up. So you might be able to help me out on this. This is a Marvel related question. Okay. So in Ant Man, so so for Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. Scott is on house arrest. Yes. In Ant-Man and the Wasp, yes. Yeah, he gets out of it at the end of Ant-Man 2, which takes place... No, it takes place before... Not in-game, not in-game. It's it's congruous with Infinity War. Because the end of of Ant-Man, they uh, do their experiment into the quantum realm, and the snap happens, and um, the rest of them disintegrate. So for Infinity Wars, sorry, my my mistake, for Infinity Wars, they say that Scott's on lockdown. Mm Mm-hmm. 
at no point in Ant-Man and the Wasp do we do we hear any mention of aliens invading? Do we hear any anything of what happens mm. in Infinity War? Let alone the fact that the the post-credit scene of them doing the experiment after he gets off house arrest has to it can't be the day after he's on house arrest because they make the smaller machine to fit inside the truck okay this has to be at least two well but i feel like making something smaller is is an easy task for um uh hank Pym, right sure sure like he can just he's he's already got that right he can zap something and make it whatever micro size so so either way either way there's no there's no mention at all of the alien invasion but keep in mind that that alien invasion only happened in Wakanda. And well, no, it starts in New York. Mm. Earth's closed. Earth's closed, Squidward. Oh, you're right. You're right. Earth's closed. Yep, absolutely. And there's no way that the West Coast isn't going to be talking about an alien invasion in New York when it already hasn't, when it already happened in Avengers. Sure. Let alone other times. Uh, a mere mention of it. So my main question is, you don't I, have to go back and watch these. I right understand. Now. Yeah, I understand Scott is supposed to be on lockdown. But if there's an alien invasion, they should know. The Avengers should know at what point his lockdown is ended. That is something that if they're keeping a tab on every on everyone, right? They should somehow know when his, his thing is over. So as soon as he gets the lock off, there should be a call to Scott. Hey, we need Ant-Man. But it's the mere fact that he's in the quantum realm. I know it's all set up. For well, but you, but they're they're kind of dealing with some things, you know. And they and and you know, I don't know that. Like, okay, you get you so get what I'm saying though. Like the continuity of it all. Almost like, per the conversation that we were we were just having about filling in the blanks versus everything being like laid out for us in plain chapter and verse. Like, if I'm a fill in the blanks person, that I'm telling you. If if I'm any one of those Avengers, even the most administrative one, probably Rhodey, like I'm not keeping tabs on Scott's fucking ankle bracelet. Like I've got aliens in New York and Wakanda. Oh, I've got sure. Tony is missing. Peter Parker is missing. Uh, uh, you know, they're 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 you know all all that craziness is happening. I don't have time. Sure. To like be tracking like the moment Scott's ankle bracelet came off, but then and, it and also, but then it, but then it also comes down to the news covering nothing and Scott not even knowing that there was an alien invasion. You mean when he comes out of it, when he when he arrives back in the van five years later? No, no, no. I'm talking about at the end of the movie. Because oh, just like they're, they're off ready. doing an experiment while this is happening, and while like the they, snap, they didn't while the snap happens, maybe, they're just yeah. doing an experiment. How like there had already been the an only the only okay so the only logical excuse to that is like it was literally congruent like Scott uh, disappeared into the quantum realm or whatever at the exact moment of the snap which is the well only and reason. even that no okay so so now that we're talking about it that couldn't have happened because there is at least um, there's at least like some amount of time between New York and Wakanda right like there's at least a half day or a day or whatever. Something and so if like the that. day that Wakanda happens is the snap and that's when that's the day of their experiment, like you're right. That is a whole, that is a legit, I don't think it matters at all, No. but it's a, it's, it's a totally legitimate like hole that doesn't currently have an explanation. I would, I would, dude, I would, if I sat down with Marcus and McFeely, this, this is my first question. I appreciate that. Just so I, they know I'm freaking hardballing them. Um, the, the other, the only other thing I really, uh, complain about with Marvel 
uh, is the order in which they give us the the post and uh, the mid and post credit scene. They seem to give a more serious mid credit and a more humorous post credit. Whereas I feel like prime example and the order they give it, they have to give it for what they give it. Prime, prime example is uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Okay. You get the snap for the mid, and then you get the alien playing the drums after the city's snapped away as the post. Yes, right. I would have much rather left it on the snap. Right, because then you walk out with the like, what? What? Yeah. Yeah. But you also knew that one was coming, right? Oh, sure. I, I mean, in reality, when I was watching Ant-Man and Wasp, the snap wasn't even in my, it wasn't even in my mind. It, I wondered where it, where it all laid out. And as soon as, uh, as the very first moment that he didn't hear back from them, and that shot is still him in the quantum realm. Uh, and he's like, hey, guys. And he didn't hear from them. Like, oh, they were just oh, fucking snapped. All of them. The second, the second it happened, I'm like, they're all gone. Yeah. They're all it, gone. Oh, and it my. comes back, and I'm like, eh. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for me, they seem, they seem to take the very serious. What were the Captain Marvel post and mid? Or mid and post. Um, it's it's her showing up um, from Fury's beeper call after the snapping, um, and then it's the flirking with the hairball. Sure. Um, and and what was the other one? The one um, where you find out that um, Fury was actually uh, an alien, and you find that uh, is that's Endgame. No, 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 no. It's um, uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Okay. Yeah, they give that one, and then there's another. They, that's my only real. Other than that, I fucking love Marvel. Um, as we do come to uh, uh, an end to the show, uh, I always like to end with a, a, a movie recommendation that you love, a movie that you love that you think uh, the listeners should go check out. I mean, there's so many, right? And and I'll think of stuff that isn't mainstream um, and drop a couple. My The first thing that comes to mind, a surprising amount of people have actually seen it for a film that really didn't get any notoriety when it came out. But truly, um, what got Robert Downey Jr. back on the, the good path the same year as Iron Man was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with him, um, uh, Val Kilmer, uh, Michelle Monaghan, Corbin Burnson. Uh, it is, is that an a incredible. Is that, is that Shane Black? Yes. Yes. It is an incredible dialogue driven movie. And it's just quip after quip after quip after quip. And him and Val are so good together it's phenomenal and it's you know and and i want to see what happens what's the evolution of downey now that he's you know he's like now that he's been tony for so long i came up with a great idea for a remake of the film channing tatum jonah hill robert downey jr weekend at bernie's <laughs> that's good i like it him as like bernie it. him as bernie lomax while you're yes, while you're throwing out uh, great reboots, I'm going to tell you the the film I would like to see rebooted is the Last Starfighter. All right, with who? A, I, I don't I haven't thought that far, All but right. it's um it's it's so it's it's a great concept, and I loved the original, but there's nothing about it that would make a reboot beholden to the original. Oh, they did right? they, they did a remake. Like, it was an episode of Clerks animated series. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and then they that. Co they combined it with uh, Temple of Doom. 
but so so modern day right it would be kids playing uh uh league of legends or something right and that's the that's it's their... a kid on, it's a kid on a switch yeah it's a it kid on be, a switch it would be it would be a lowly finds uh, a lowly a low class kid whose dad just happened to afford a, a switch for his birthday right and, yeah right oh, no that's great yeah and, and that's how you that's how you get into it and then but conceptually it's still the same small town downtrodden you know kid becomes the hero and it has the gun star and the death blossom the whole thing um you know and i i think it would be i think it'd be a lot of fun um uh so kiss kiss bang bang is a movie people may not have seen that i think anyone would find enjoyable um I don't know, man. Um, uh, there's a lot of good stuff on uh, Netflix and Amazon right now. Um, I've binged a ton of shows more than I've been watching movies, but I did watch um, the, uh, what was it called? The Guard? It was the Charlize Theron um, Am- uh, either Amazon oh, or Netflix show. No, the Old Guard? The Old Guard. Yeah, that, that was, was good. That was fun and entertaining. Uh, that was very good. If you have Amazon Prime, I'm pretty sure it's still on there. If you haven't seen it, I'll recommend to you Dave Made a Maze. Hmm. I'll check that out. It's a fun one. It's a fun one. Um, I, uh, I also went through, so, um, a great binge is Mr. Robot. If, if you don't know where Rami Malek from uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came from, he is spellbinding in Mr. Robot. Like that move, that show, you do not actually know what is going on in that show. And you are questioning it every time you think you know what's going on in that show. You're not sure what is reality and what isn't. It is brilliantly twisted. Um, that was a great binge. Altered Carbon's a phenomenal binge. Um, yeah, I've watched a ton. The 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 um, what's his name from The Office and Jack Ryan is so good. Um, Krasinski. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's so good. Jim so good. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. loved that. Uh, well, with that, we come to the end of the show, uh, and and now you can plug away everything that you have to plug. Where can we find you? What do you got going oh, on? What are you doing? Man, I normally have so much to plug because there's always another event around the corner, and I ain't got shit. Um, what I do have, what I do have, is uh, I uh, am the co-host of the Dan Fogler 4D Experience on Nerdbot Media. Uh, if you don't know who Dan is by name, you do know him by face. He is a hysterical human being. Um, you've seen him as Hutch and Fanboys. You've seen him as Randy Daytona and Balls of Fury. Uh, he is the lovable muggle Jacob Kowalski in the Fantastic Beast series. Uh, he is the hilarious coked out Barry in uh, Take Me Home Tonight, which is another great movie. Um, uh, which reminds me, Teresa Palmer is in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. That's another good movie to go watch. Sorcerer's Apprentice with uh, Nick Cage, Nick Cage and, and um, Jay Baruchel. Um, I'm dying for Dan to bring Jay on our show. It's like one of his homies that I have never gotten to interact with. And I'm like, I keep, to, he's like, who should we bring on the show? I'm like, Jay, get Jay. If you anyway. get, please, if you get, if you get Jay on, please ask him everything you can about Goon. I fucking, okay. love, I love Goon yeah. and I love Goon too. Yeah. Um, so you can check out the Dan Fogler 4D experience on NerdBot. You can uh, follow the 4DX um, uh, Instagram and we have the uh, Fogler's Fiction Fest coming up. So I don't know when this is going to drop on everybody. And I'm checking right now to see what date we selected. But it is uh, sometime in January. January 16th and 17th is going to be Fogler's Fiction Fest. It is a two-day streaming event with me and Dan and a whole bunch of celebrity guests. Like, I don't even know who he's getting, but he is like pulling everybody from all of his projects in. And, and that'll include some of the people that we've interviewed in the past, like probably um, uh, Leah Thompson and Zach Levi and Jeff Garland and 
um, uh, Cooper Andrews and a bunch of the walking dead people will be there. Um, uh, you know, Ross Marquand. So uh, yeah, Fogler's Fiction Fest is, I guess, the next thing on on the docket on January 16th and 17th. And you can find me on social media at The Geek Gatsby and at Nerds Like Us. That's awesome. When you, uh, just to close out, when you had Ross on, did you get him to do a bunch of his uh, impersonations? Oh, we do, we do a wheel of impressions. Uh, that's definitely one of the better episodes. Um, uh, one of the times we had Dan Ross and Coop, uh, Cooper Andrews. Uh, Coop does some really good impressions too. Uh, really? Coop's James Earl Jones will fucking knock your socks off. All right, I'm going to um, go back and listen to that one. All of them do a walk-in. I've, I've got some too. Um, but in that episode, uh, which might have been the first that we, we did officially, we had um, Coop and, and uh, Dan, uh, um, Ross back. Uh, Ross does a Werner Herzog that is unbelievable. He's like, yes, Mandalorian. Like he's just, he's so, you must so show me the baby. And then in that episode, Dan did, uh, Al Pacino changing a diaper. <laughs> I'm like, that's a lot of shit. <laughs> what did you eat? Oh, I'm going crazy. Like, so he did, he did that. And, uh, um, what yeah. do you got? What do you, what's your favorite? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was walking, changing a diaper and it was Pacino having sex. Pacino having like, I just, I can't, I can't. You can't, no, I'll let, what, what for you, you say you got a couple, what's your, uh, what's your favorite impersonation? I do a number of them. Um, let's see, uh, Cartman. Uh, you will respect my authority. More people come, we tell me a punch and bah. <laughs> you guys, I'm going home. Uh, I like that one. I like that one. Then there's, uh, Marvin the Martian with my Illudium Q36 space modulator. Um, I can do a ton of feral. Um, yeah, a bunch of stuff. It's all right, all right. That's that's, that's and 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 working with Dan's been great because I'm I don't realize I do stuff until I start to do it and I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can do that one. There, uh, it's it's funny the way you you can you pick up on impersonations. I heard someone once do uh, a Christian Slater, and you realize that Christian yeah, Slater, yeah. it's kind of the 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 poor man's Jack Nicholson. It's totally it's, he's modeling it after Jack, right? Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, what you just—that's such a Slater tick. He's always got he's always got the hair. Got and he's the hair rolling man. it back. Like, yeah. But uh, no, I it, that's how I learned. Um, and I, I, I was such a fan. Oh, we had a Connery off the other week cause we were on right after Connery died and everything. Was, oh no, not yeah. Connery. <laughs> What's, Connery. <laughs> what was, uh, who's, who's Connery's, uh, like favorite musical artist. And it was like, however you could get into the Connery accent is like Shawnee and Cher. <laughs> like, you know, um, uh, who's, um, who's his, who's his favorite, uh, Oh God, I'm 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 dying now. But it's no, like, that's um, that's you know that was a good the, that's good. Uh, but I at LA Comic Con I met uh, Brian O'Halloran and Marilyn Gigalotti. Oh, they're great. And they're I did awesome. I did my Jeff Anderson for them because I realized <laughs> I realized when I was watching Clerks like oh my God like I could wow just, like night like nice cat what's its name annoying customer. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, there's that only, is really good. There's only one return, my friend, and it's not of the king. It's of the Jedi. 
Yeah, that's so, good. That's and so good. I did that. I did that for for Brian O'Halloran and Marilyn Gigalotti, and that's actually how I got Marilyn to do my show. I think essentially is uh, she caught. She was like, "That's a really good Jeff Anderson." So that's very cool. Yeah, but you no, know, I I would love to meet Jeff Anderson just to fucking be like, bro. People tell me that I sound like you. I don't fucking hear it. <laughs> but um so bernie thank you we're, we're coming to the end thank you so much as we do close i try and keep a pma a positive mental attitude do you have a, a personal mantra or a message of positivity that you'd like to leave with the people as we as we exit the show uh wherever you go there you are and uh a great quote of mine from wayne gretzky um about uh uh, you know, always, always taking a swing and, and trying to do something no matter how you think it's going to go. And that is you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. That's a great one. Bernie, thank you so much for doing the show. My pleasure, Steve. And ladies and gentlemen, that has been another episode of the last podcast you'd want. And until next week, tip the veal, try the staff, and I'll see you then. Ever wonder how your buddy got those exclusive wrestling superstar action figures? Finn Balor, or even that Ric Flair autograph 8x10 photo that you can't find in stores? Chances are they came from Pro Wrestling Loot, Professional Wrestling's most unique and fan-friendly monthly subscription box. Pro Wrestling Loot customizes a 5-7 to seven item mystery box for wrestling fans that includes exclusive t-shirts, action figures, collectibles, trading cards, pins, autographs, and more that you can't find anywhere else. Today, for all of our last podcast you'd want listeners, we have a deal for you. Just head over to ProWrestlingLoot.com and enter the promo code LASTPODCAST to check out to save 20% off your first box with Pro Wrestling Loot. With over 20,000 followers online and presence at some of the biggest conventions in the United States, including WrestleCon and StarCast, Pro Wrestling Loot just isn't a business. With ties to indie, mainstream, lucha libre, American, and European pro wrestling, Pro Wrestling Loot is always sending out the most unique items with you in mind over the last five years. Sign up today at ProWrestlingLoot.com for just $24.99 and start receiving your monthly Pro Wrestling Loot box. Plus, for a limited time, enter code LASTPODCAST and receive 20% off your first box. Pro Wrestling Loot. For the fan in all of us. Thanks for coming to see our show. Sad to tell you we got to go. Grab your hat and head for the door. In case you didn't notice Mary anymore. If you like our show, tell everyone but. If you think it's great, keep your big mouth shut. It's over.